And now, let us pray. As we lay down to sleep, we pray our Lord Scorsese, Chris's money to keep. Because we're talking movies, we're talking Killers of the Flower Moon, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, and Lily Gladstone. Written by Eric Roth and Martin Scorsese, who also directed and based on the book by David Graham. Chris, just make sure you know the road. The Osage are sharp. They don't talk much. So that might make you feel like you gotta run your mouth to fill the space, especially you've been drinking. Better you be quiet if you got nothing smart to say. Don't get caught on that. It's what they call Blackbird talk. Beep, 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 beep. Cheep, 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 cheep. everybody and welcome to this week's episode of how'd you like that movie as scott said we are going to be talking about the martin scorsese picture killers of the flower moon 2023 uh but helping us out are some of our favorite people uh we yet again have uh carolyn mercetti merced oh my fucking god (laughs) she is a toronto-based rotten tomatoes approved critic programmer and development coordinator for the blood and snow film festival She's also the director of the Canadian programming for Fantasia International Film Festival, a published contributing author writing about Japanese horror and racism in American cinema, lecturer on Afrofuturism and Black women in horror. She's also written for Rue Morgue Magazine and Grimm Magazine, uh, and she can be seen on Hollywood Suite's docu-series A Year in Film. And helping her out and helping us out is Heidi Morales, uh, a founding member of High's Musing, an alternative media website covering film, theater, along with other arts and cultural events. Heidi is also a Rotten Tomatoes approved critic. Uh, she's from Guatemala and she now resides in Toronto, Treaty 13 territory here in Ontario, Canada. Uh, and she is also a programmer for Blood in the Snow. Hey everybody, if I missed anything, I'm so sorry, Carolyn. Uh, we yeah. really like worked that and I still screwed it up. So at least <laughs> we're par for the course. Yeah, <laughs> fine. Hello. Hi everybody. So did I get all the appropriate bio information in there? Is there anything else that you really want to flush out? Mm, I like cats. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I love cats and anything oh. furry and, and, and animals and four-legged so yeah well, Carolyn and I bond dogs cats. yes yes so you guys are off of what two weeks ago was the end of the uh blood in the snow film festival labs and industry events yeah okay. yes yeah about two weeks and yeah how'd it go it, it was great it was um I'm still a little tired from it but uh, it was fantastic um the lab went off incredibly we had great uh 12 projects from underrepresented filmmakers they were all so fantastic they uh, had pitches they met like industry professionals so it was really great the lineup was great Heidi because I was more there in the daytime with the industry events mm-hmm. um but Heidi could probably talk more about the the screenings yeah yeah, no, I actually agree. It, it went really well. I um I try to make it out make it out for the evening side of things because um, you know we have day jobs, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and I think you know we had a really great turnout for the films that we knew were going to be big hits. Uh, it was nice to actually see people stay out for the after parties or continue from the industry events during the day 
into the evening and continuing to network. And I think a lot of people made new friends. Um, I know I did. Um, so it was actually got a really nice whirlwind six days, I guess. Yeah. And we got to see you, Chris. So that was great, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was it great because I, I I always wonder if it's like meeting me in real life. You're like, oh man, all that energy in real life. I feel like can be a bit like well, ah. You were busy, so I think we saw each other like in, in bits and pieces. And same yeah. with Calvin, I didn't see you all day every day. But yeah, like I actually wanted to tap into some of that energy. Like everybody that was so like jazzed to be there, it was so great to see because um, you wonder like you just your head's in it like for months trying to figure things out and logistics and, and programming and everything. And then to see it actually happen. I know Kelly was really thrilled um, about just the festival overall, and he was getting such great feedback. So yeah, I really wanted to tap into your energy, Chris, because <laughs> I was existing on pizza YOLO. <laughs> so is there any, because I wasn't able to attend, is there any like embarrassing Chris stories you can let us know about not at all <laughs> i don't witness any so <laughs> you know you guys could have just made it up right no i'm like not. let me tell you because i'd be like oh i i mean that's quite possible that happened <laughs> <laughs> well i saw him talking to one of the curtains in the event space at one no i don't know no it was great um yeah it was i didn't i barely saw chris though like i i think we talked about four times Think about yeah, the screen. I think I caught you like yeah. right before a couple screenings and just quickly like blah blah blah. And I know with yeah. Heidi, I kept being like, "Hey, I'll buy you a drink later." I, did I ever actually buy you that drink? I'm so later? thirsty over here. That's <laughs> what <laughs> I, I was like. I'll be right back. I'll be I right. I bought back. my own drink. <laughs> uh, actually, I do want to ask you, Carolyn, about something. The impromptu arm wrestling that happened oh. on what? the Saturday. What? I missed that. I was shocked that that was happening, especially because I I was like, did this suddenly turn into like a a frat party or it's like, what is going on right now? Yeah, I guess that's what happens when the room clears out. I don't know. <laughs> it was very, uh, yeah, it was very interesting. Were you arm wrestling at all? I was not. Just, okay, I was I not. Was, I was not. Uh, I, I know these the individuals that were. Yeah. And it was interesting because my my perspective was across the table and then you guys were you and who your colleagues were sitting behind it yes so i got it was i, I mean it was like the depth of focus there like you could have <laughs> rack focused that between like this super male energy and then the like almost look of horror uh, uh on your faces like you could have moved back and forth in that shot i did tell kelly i'm like oh yeah there is an arm wrestling competition he's like what was one of the uh, interesting moments. Yeah, we were like, just as long no one breaks anything at the venue, knock yourselves out, you know? <laughs> but yeah, I think we were having like some in-depth conversation. <laughs> we hear, <"Raw!" laughs> But at least it was uh, when most people had cleared out. So yeah, it was fine. <laughs> uh, was there anything that you guys want to touch base on about, you know, Blood in the Snow that you thought went really well before we kind of get into... Uh, talking about killers of the fire moon or scott if you have anything because you are kind of you know part of this show as well ladies first like <laughs> um no i think i'm going to echo what Kellen said in terms of feedback i know that um kelly received feedback i also personally received feedback from different folks that attended from filmmakers to producers which is also really great to hear 
because um, we don't always connect with everybody. And um, I think that's also the reason we try to make sure that as programmers we're present, not just during film screenings, but afterwards and even during industry time so that people know who we are and that we are accessible and approachable. And um, I think that was part of the highlights of this year. So I hope that people continue to come and, and talk to us, ask questions, introduce themselves, um, because that also helps us know, you know, maybe future projects that come our way. So I think that would be sort of my highlight. I, I agree. Yeah, because um, uh, I got a lot of feedback, oddly from the, the lab, because I'm running it. Um, they, uh, a lot of people were just saying how welcoming and open people were at the festival, like everybody from attendees to our guests, uh, panel guests, because it was it was really great. Um, Kelly kind of organized it where, you know, you'd have like industry events, and then there'd be a cocktail after. So whoever could stay would like, kind of stay have a drink with people chat so you know it's not like these uh industry people are at arm's length you can actually interact with them and talk to them and a lot of people made some great connections so I think that's one of the huge parts of bits is the community and the industry aspect um people come for the screenings which is excellent and we had some great Canadian films um but yeah it's nice to see people coming after the screenings and and the events to meet each other, you know? Yeah. As, as someone who works on Fantasia, which is a, a internationally renowned festival, how how would you say that Blood in the Snow compares, like what, like vibe wise, like, is there similarities? Is there different? Are they very different? Like, cause you kind of work in both of those spaces. It's very similar. Cause I know Mitch uh, Davis, the artistic director at Fantasia, he is adamant about it being the festival being accessible to everyone. No like guest lists, no, you know, none of this. I, I'm I'm going to kind of shade Toronto, but none of this Toronto like guest list garbage, you know, because it, it just it's, it's kind of prohibitive to people and it, it kind of creates a hierarchy. Um, so he wants everybody. I mean, understandably if you're a part of frontiers then you should be going to the cocktails and whatever but like that's the only kind of um thing where they do they will check your badge because that's people pay to to go into frontiers and and you know and to they submit that competition so if they're involved then it should just be for them right um but uh it's it's a similar vibe where you can meet distributors just kind of you know, at a screening or at the pub at McKibben's, right? That's where everybody goes. So you'll see like directors, you'll see cast and crew um, and programmers and the admin staff at Fantasia. So it's all really, really inclusive. So it's a very similar vibe. Yeah, I would say it's very similar. It's just on a larger scale. Fantastic. Uh, are you guys ready then? You want to talk about this film or? Yeah. All right, Scott, I'm going to wheel this over to you and uh, let's uh, let's go. Let's do Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, okay, I'm going to let you go first, though, or the ladies go first, because <laughs> I, I, I'm going to be playing the role of Chris Langford in this one, because I don't have very nice things to say about this movie. So I, I don't want to like, wrong with that? yeah, yes. I don't want to like 
bash it right from the beginning because I'm not Chris. I'm, I'm you don't even quiet. know if I like this film. You're just making you you sense. went twice. You're like I went to the theaters twice to say like you gave the money twice, so you liked it. Like I already knew from the beginning. Listen, <laughs> I know that De Niro has had some money problems with his ex partner, so I got to make sure. He's well taken care of for his flights to the Hamptons for brunch on the helicopter and stuff. I got to make sure Bobby's taken care of. So, <laughs> all right. Well, go ahead and then I'll come in. After you guys, yeah, you guys can go first. Cause, yeah. Because uh... yeah. I'm more interested in like, because my criticism is like based off of whose perspective this movie is about, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, but uh, I wanted to see from like the female perspective, like, like, am I wrong in thinking like this is following the wrong person in terms of this film? Mm -hmm. Right. That is the mm -hmm. question, right? And mm -hmm. I think every person you ask that question to will have perhaps a slightly different answer and for perhaps different reasons. So I think I agree that the the point of view is it's obviously skewed to to a particular uh, group of people, which is maybe white people. But in saying that, I'm also aware that the source material was a book that was written by a white person. Um, so I kind of do keep that in mind as well in, in how they started in the story. Um, I can provide more 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 bits later, but that, that will be where I start. And from a cinematic point of view, Scorsese films always look good. So I will give credit to the production because it deserves the credit because he had a lot of money as well, right? So I'll let Carolyn add a couple of things. Well, um, I my initial reaction, um, I was really angry uh, watching the, this film because I'm like, wait a minute. Because I went in, I didn't want to read too much about it because um, I'm, you know, <clears throat> my... I'm kind, I have tunnel vision sometimes and I'm always always watching horror and what have you. And then when award season comes around, I kind of catch up on all the other films. So I, I knew I heard about this. I'm like, oh, Leonardo, you know, De Niro, Scorsese, they're all in it together, yada, yada, yada. I'm like, OK, whatever, I'll catch up with that film. Um, and as I was watching it, I was just getting angrier and angrier. And um, I... You know, I have, I'm kind of revolving. So on one hand, Scorsese has, he's like in the lexicon of cinema. He is like Scorsese, right? So everybody looks up to him. So his telling this story will get it out to a larger audience because I had no idea about this. Zero. I had no, I had no idea that this was happening. I mean, you look at, we'll get into it later, but you look at how they, referenced the Tulsa massacre right and that only came up come in came into light I mean within my kind of world I would say the last four years um so to know that I mean we, we already know that indigenous people have been fighting for their land and for their their rights uh, you know from for eternity basically um so to know that this particular story, this particular thing actually happened was really infuriating. So for Scorsese to take a story like that and make it known because of who he is, I applaud that because I think a larger audience would have seen it if there would have been an indie filmmaker who had taken the story 
and done something really incredible, it would have not have gotten out to this this large of an audience. However, I also agree with like, why is he telling this story? Is it just because he read the book, he liked the book, who was also written by a, a white person? Oh, let's tell the story. Like, I know it comes from a good place. I know it comes from a good place, but also, and I know he consulted with people and there's like the Osage was a huge part of this film in, in you know, behind the scenes, but it just, just like, we're still doing this in 2023. You know, I think that's what my, my overall feeling of it is. So I think that that, <clears throat> that's an, so this is an important part of this conversation though, is kind of what you're talking about. So you have this story and yes, the book is written by a white person. Supposedly it is very well researched. Uh, according to the background I read on the book, the difference between the film and the book is the the book is almost more like a like police procedural. There's more about the FBI and that you know Edgar, uh, J. Edgar Hoover, where Scorsese wanted to kind of make it a character driven production. Um, so the one thing that you know you like you've kind of alluded to is it's a Martin Scorsese film. More people see it, but it also gets a two hundred million dollar budget because it's a Martin Scorsese film, right? Like Apple comes on board because, you know, you got De Niro, DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese as like a trifecta. That's how you get this film made. So the challenge, because unfortunately it's still the entertainment business, right? Uh, like Apple didn't even care if it, like I'm sure they care, but it's it wasn't super critical for it to even do really well at the box office like it's got a 200 million dollar budget you know plus your marketing budget on top of that it did 155 million but more importantly it's currently number one on itunes at a price of like 25 dollars. so apple is going to continue first off it gives them content for apple plus and then they can keep recouping money just on people watching at home i think it speaks to and feel free definitely uh you know i'd like to hear your perspective on this I think the way we can get these stories told properly is sort of like what you guys are doing with the lab over at blood in the snow is that we don't have those big name directors quite yet. Not at, like you said, not those quintessential, you know, lexicon uh, people who are in the lexicon of film that are, I mean, they're starting to be with women, but like POC and, and some POC, you know, black filmmakers and stuff. But until we raise up those indigenous filmmakers, they're not going to get $300 million budgets. And again, I'm, I'm more than happy to have you tell me I'm wrong there. No, I would agree. And I and I know that that was part of the deal with Apple, right? Because Paramount Plus also was was in that deal. And um, they're both making money off this film. Um, and Apple sort of took a backseat to having the film do this global release um, in cinemas that Paramount Plus benefits from. And then now, like you said, iTunes is, is going up in numbers. And so Apple is doing really well because they agreed to release it in time for this campaign of your consideration, award seasoned type of releases, right? Or re-release, if you will, for some for some films. So there's always gonna be a talk about, um, there's always gonna be an angle of money and entertainment, like you said, because it's Hollywood, it's mainstream media. Um, and uh, yeah, I would agree that because it is this trifecta of names, that's that's the reason these two big name companies sort of backed the film. And um, I'd be curious to see moving forward if in fact they will be supporting filmmakers of different groups uh, and put their money, you know, put their money where it should be. Scott, you haven't said anything. 
<laughs> so, um, like with me, I, I, I'll preference this. I 100% agree. Martin Scorsese movies look amazing, but I also think like now he is the old man fucking screaming at the clouds. Cause I think, um, like you're saying with, you know, Apple plus, you know, Irishman with Netflix, this is the guy who was two years before, you know, bashing these streaming services saying they're not making films, they're just making content. But then when the studios don't want to, you know, when he has like, I'm going to say envy of superhero movies because they're getting made for $200 million and, you know, he can't get his movies made for that. He goes to these streaming services and now it's okay. Right. But um, in terms of this film, I was like, I had no issue falling technically and spoilers, the villains of this film. Like, oh, and I don't think it's me, a spoiler because they kicked the thing off pretty quickly. You know what the fuck is going on. You know what I mean? Like I will pay money for like uh, of. A Halloween remake where I'm just following the point of view of Michael Myers. Like you give me that first scene for two hours and just him in his head wanting to, you know, crochet. That's all he wants. Right. And these people are in his way, whatever. I will pay money for that. Like the villain perspective, the, the point when I had issue of this was when you get to the third act and it's the, you know, the podcast that's not a podcast when they're doing the radio play oh, oh my god <laughs> and then when they when technically scorsese has the audacity because he's the one that's now going to read her obituary and you know he's all sad and then he goes there was no mention of the murder in her obituaries i'm like right. when you have technically if she was so vital to this movie and her like she was so vital and Jesse Plummins, who's comes in for 15 to 25 minutes of a three and a half hour movie, has more lines than she does and is seen more than she does. That's what turned me off completely of this film, because you can't make her so vital that mm -hmm. she's an afterthought through like half the time you don't see her. She's just, you know, bedridden or whatever. Um, and then have the like to me the audacity to come up there and pretend you're crying over her obituary i'm like you didn't give a shit enough to make her <laughs> vital in this film to try to turn it around at the end to be like woe is me like look at me i'm awesome kind of thing that's what completely turned me off of this film that's a um so it's funny you mentioned that because i've seen this film twice as well um now and the first on, on the first time I was thinking the same thing, Scott, right? It's like, also WTF. And um, and then on the second sit through the film, then I'm thinking, okay, maybe they're trying to show me that this is in fact the way it's always been. The, the point of view of a lot of these stories has always been through this white lens. And it's sort of, kind of concretely showing the audience, this is the way that we've been feeding new stories and history for a lot of years. I'm not making like, I'm not taking their side by any means or Scorsese's side, but I, I can see how it could work in, in like another angle, but it's still very enraging to, 
it's through, right? Um, and then it kind of goes back to the source material because the source material in the book, the character of Tom White was kind of pivotal because it was a procedural, like Chris was saying. So that's also why we see that, you know, um, the character of Molly wasn't as well developed in the film, even though they're trying to to sort of incorporate more of a, more of an indigenous um, perspective, right? So there's all, there's a lot of conflict as you're sitting through the film. Mm-hmm. At least that's that's how I was sitting with it. Uh, I I agree because um, yeah, like the the uh, Scott, you, you were you really nailed it. I was watching it. The endings coming up. I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> like, what is? you're reducing everything and I you know thank you for bringing that perspective Heidi because it it kind of it it reduces it to this radio play where you know people are like oh dear that's so terrible you know where you're kind of flipping to the newspaper paper you see like a really horrible oh this person this indigenous person was you know murdered for their money oh that's so terrible so it kind of really takes you out of it Right. So I think that's a really interesting way and um, valid way of looking at it. But it, I, I was still I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I, I, I Maybe they're doing it to incite that emotion so that people do get angry and say this is not how it should be told. You know, like um, I thought it was interesting that cast too, like Larry Fessenden, who is like um indie horror name, yeah. uh, producer, director. I'm like, is that Larry Fessenden? I actually met him this summer and he's awesome he is quite a character um and like Jack White uh it's really interesting the the people that they had that they cast for that radio play um I thought that was really uh yeah interesting choice so that's man are you guys all this is why this is great having you know not just Scott but like you guys as guests come on because I, that's not how I saw this film at all. I saw Molly, uh, the quietness. So we, I opened the show with the quote about the the Osage are sharp. They don't talk much. That that kind of little bit of information that De Niro is giving to uh, DiCaprio's character about like, just because they're quiet doesn't mean they aren't clocking you, basically. And that's what I took from Molly is she's just like, sitting there like you white people you just want to talk you always want to talk 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 and she is just because she doesn't have lines doesn't mean she's not important and i i at no point did i feel like she was being marginalized in the story um and the ending the i actually really thought that was a cool narrative device because it does kind of reduce you've watched a whole show about uh, sorry a whole film about these people and you have their they're somewhat three-dimensional but yeah in the end they did just get reduced specifically her she did just get reduced to a couple lines in a newspaper the fact that the this tragedy that happened to her people and how she was so pivotal in it kind of being uh you know solved resolved whatever doesn't even get mentioned in this poor woman's life like i thought that was so telling and, and i so i saw it as like this masterful way to tell that story as only like again martin scorsese as a as a white director can tell it and i think it is actually good that he tried he didn't try and tell it from the osage perspective because he's not he like he can't do that you need an in my opinion you need an indigenous director to do that lens properly so i think that by showing it through the white man's lens 
was the best he could do with that story. Because I, again, I think anything outside of that would have gotten like really inappropriate. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, and that's the valid validity of all of our opinions, right? Because we, we bring different knowledge and experiences to watching these films, right? you also make film scripts. So you also appreciate things about the film that are, are perhaps different from what I appreciate because I'm not a filmmaker, but, um, but I, I do think it's an interesting device, like you mentioned. And, you know, there, I've been watching some of the um, the interviews or, or reading some of the interviews with Lily Gladstone. And she's, she's saying, you know, she doesn't dislike the character. I think she did her character justice. And she agrees that, in her opinion, they did as much of a true character that they could build because there wasn't a lot in the book about her. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there was research for the film. And... Um, yeah, she she is sort of in the in the film quiet, but a very strong person because otherwise, why did they have to kind of shut her up the way they did, right? So there's a lot of strength in her character, and I understand that. Um, but I think it would still be interesting to see, like you mentioned, if a, an indigenous filmmaker and crew were to make this film, how they would actually represent the fact that indigenous people are very funny, they're very talkative, but it's also done through that perspective that we don't have because we're not of, of that group. Um, I, I kind of want to add to that because I, I want to kind of bring up this so there's like a I guess I don't know what you like not a stereotype but like an archetype of the strong black woman where you know you're strong you don't say anything um you know you're tough you don't show emotion and I feel like sometimes that actually is a stereotype and I kind of felt like that as well like sometimes being silent is a cultural thing right and I don't know enough about indigenous cultures to know whether that stoicness that silence is just a cultural thing or if that's just kind of um, a stereotype that's being perpetuated you know where she's very stoic and you know to me that that translates into as you were saying um uh, chris mistrust so they don't trust the white people so they don't want to say too much they don't want to um give them too much fodder to to because obviously uh, indigenous people's uh, best rights are not <laughs> in the first thing in like william william's mind right uncle um ernest's uncle's mind so it just i'm kind of i'm really conflicted with a lot of stuff in this film like you know, it's just that stereotype of a stoic indigenous person. And I don't know, uh, is it because of the, there's this not, it's not because of the lack of, of language, because everybody can speak English or Osage. So it's not that, but I just, I don't know. I just, these little things kind of popped up in my head when I was watching it. I'm like, really? And um, also I have to say, speaking of language, two things, hearing uh, Robert De Niro's character speak Osage just made my skin crawl mm. because you know he's doing it for his benefit. He's do he's slithering into their community and their culture like a poison, and and he's just getting into their system and and he's learning their language. It just made me oh, it just made my skin crawl. So I commend um, De Niro for that his performance. Because it really made me feel feel like 
ill and creeped out. And also their um, language consultant, uh, what's his name? I looked it up here, Christopher Coat. Mm -hmm. um, he also had, um, he's kind of, he has mixed feelings about the film as well. Because he he wondered, um, you know, he appreciated the the collaboration with the Osage, uh, the Osage people, but he also was like wondering why, what an indigenous person would have done with this film. So it's just really interesting. I mean, on the topic of thoughts, I mean, Devilry Jacobs, uh, the, you know, she she basically had a, a really long thread uh, on Twitter, but essentially it starts with, I have thoughts, I have strong feelings. This film was painful, grueling, unrelenting, and unnecessarily graphic. Um, and I mean, I, I anybody who's listening, I would recommend just going, looking at her tweet. I'll throw it in the show notes as well to check it out because it is extensive. Uh, so I found this film... First off, uh, the three and a half hours actually kind of slipped by. Like it, it, the pacing was perfect for this film, but it made me very angry. Like angry, not as in like I'm angry at like at the filmmaking, but they it did invoke that like injustice. They did such a good job of making you feel for these people and like almost want to scream out like you're just watching people just get murdered one after another after another. But there is some stuff that felt a bit trauma porny for me like when they do the autopsy on the body and you can hear the bone saw against the skull and stuff like I was like I don't I don't I didn't feel that that was necessary again it felt a bit gratuitous uh even seeing the body like the her sister's body pulled from the review like you don't you can do exposition without showing a mutilated corpse of an indigenous woman even if the story is about the murder of indigenous you know women pr primarily right so yeah, I also still had, even on the second watch, I also felt uncomfortable with that particular scene as well. And I mean, you know, as Carolyn mentioned, we watch horror and, you know, crime thrillers. I watch crime thrillers all the time, but I think it's just the way that it's used in this film. But I also wondered about who's watching the film and how they're going to take those sort of scenes in, right? Because some of us are kind of tired of seeing these stories being repeated this way, like you said, with the trauma porn sort of vibe in it. Um, but somebody else would be like, oh, wow, that is horrible. And that's how they understand that something horrible actually happened to people that still exist in this world, right? So I think it's it's um, who is sitting and, and, and kind of watching it. Uh, I think some of us, I'm, and I've had this conversation with friends as well of varied cultures. And um, I have some Black friends who are like, I don't want to watch like, you know, slavery type films anymore because I'm done with it. So that line always stays with me in terms of like, what are we seeing depicted on screen and, and how we take it in. Uh, agreed. Yeah, because there it was it was for a drama. I found it was pretty graphic. And you think of the missing indigenous women and, and girls and uh, along that that actual like. That that's actually happening, still happening now. You know, um, it's just a, you know, you wonder about the sensitivity and, and again, as Heidi says, who's watching it? Because it's, it is really like, I really enjoyed reading um, Devery, uh, Devery's um, thread because I just thought it was so poignant to know that this is an Indigenous woman watching this and this is her real time um, reaction to it. So, Yeah. It's perspective is everything like who's watching this.
Well, and I think that I was trying to find the the tweet while you guys were talking there. Lily Gladstone, and I'll just paraphrase, she basically said, like, as Indigenous people, go watch this film when you're comfortable. Watch it with with people you feel safe with, because, you know, essentially it's it is going to be a traumatic experience. And some of you are going to have uh, some triggering effects to it. So. Uh, I think that, I mean, that, that is almost like a nicer way or not, I don't even say nicer, but like a different way of kind of getting at what like Devilry Jacobs is saying, right? Like this is a, it's a traumatic film. And I mean, even not being, like I said, be, not being indigenous, like it made my blood boil to watch these. And and I think that actually is a testament of both the story and the, the filmmaking that when you can evoke real emotion in your audience, I mean, they had a great book that they're coming off of. Uh, he, uh, the writer of the book is Killers uh, of the Flower Moon, American Crime and the Birth of the FBI by David Grant. So he's a staff writer for the New Yorker. He also wrote actually, and as being uh, you're South American, correct Heidi, or Central American? I'm Central American. So the same writer did uh, The Lost City of Z, A Tale of Deadly yep. Obsession in the Amazon. I'm aware. <laughs> so it's interesting. It's like, so like, I'm like, he's a journalist. I'm assuming he knows how to do research, but it's like, again, you've got like this white dude that seems very, very interested in indigenous cultures. Um, but you, you have, so you have this, this book that's, you know, a New York Times bestseller. And then you have, you know, Martin Scorsese coming in and directing it. And the, that emotion that gets invoked, I thought was, it showed like such a, such a powerful use of cinema, I guess is where I'm kind of going with this. But oh, I, where I was gonna, the other thing I want to say is the screenplay is written by Eric Roth, who did like Forrest Gump, The Insider, Munich, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Mank, A Star is Born, Dune. Like this is a A-list screenplay writer, right? So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. they, I guess um, they but, put their but... money into where they know they're kind of like a, uh, you know, a guaranteed win, so to speak. They 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 put their money where they know things were <coughs> things were going to be taken care of. So I mean, I I guess that's good. I don't know. I'm just so conflicted. Like I'm just so because I agree with you. It does. It's really evocative. It makes you angry. It makes you root for these women. And like you know, there was once part of the film where they they get earnest. They take earnest. They question him. And he's like, my wife is sick, right? But they don't, they, like, I, I wasn't really sure of the timeline because they give you shots of um, of Molly, you know, like, basically dying in her in her home. Um, but they've got Ernest, and he's being questioned, and then he gets taken to jail. And then it dawns on them, let's check on, on Molly. It's like, hello? He said his wife is sick. You want to like investigate that? <laughs> She's the actually the 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 center of this investigation. She went to Washington. It was her. And then when aren't you not not suspicious when you know Jesse Plemons' character goes to to their home and he says to Ernest, "Can I talk to your wife?" Oh, she's not well. Don't you want to investigate that? <laughs> I was just kind of like, hello. So I was wondering what that timeline, it just seemed like, was it a week? What is it, a couple days? What's happening here? Go look night. in on her. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just, I don't know. Just, was it the same night? Because it was scratching my head. I'm like, go, right. go look, look after her. See if she's alive. I was like on the edge of my seat. I'm like, is she good? She's going to die. She's going to die. The, the, yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but that's also oh, no. the times, right? Because yeah. I mean, women were 
we're secondary. Yes. To a degree, you know, we're still fighting for that. So, you know, it was, I don't know. I I agree with you. It was a bit <laughs> of a mess there for a second. In terms isn't of there, isn't there a line from, I don't know if it was John Lithgow's character, where they said, like, you're more likely to get convicted for kicking or killing a dog and, oh, and yeah. then like I word you know woman right and like, so oh, yeah. you know that that kind of that statement actually probably plays into exactly what you're talking about like they're they're investigating and stuff and really they, I thought it was interesting they used like a, an indigenous police officer to go undercover that whole little like it's a short sequence but the like undercover kind of stuff that was happening I thought that was like so well shot it created some great tension and mm -hmm. at first because when I first watched it I just thought I actually, I did not clue in that he was an undercover police officer until basically they show up in that meeting and all the police officers are there and they're like and you can see the the fields on fire like uh, De Niro's uh, fields on fire so yeah like um, I'm gonna agree with that like I thought that was really like done well like in terms of the undercover because at first I thought because you know he's introduced as a guy who came to the town and he was trying to find his heritage and then like 45 minutes or a bit before that they were talking about Molly's first husband and that and I'm like shit was she pregnant before and here's the guy who actually has the head right oh, okay. right mm -hmm. so and I'm like oh this is gonna be a nice little twist and then when he comes out to be the cop I'm like oh I'm like I'm okay with that as well um but yeah like I think in terms of performances I think we can all agree like this this everybody did a good job and and like Caroline was saying, like all the money was put into the talent, right? So I think the minute this movie was announced, everybody was already like, okay, so you got best actor, best supporting actor. You're going to have screenplay cinematography before the, the like a shot's even taken. It's already like kind of like a given right now. Now, whether I think it should win, I don't. Um, mm -hmm. But well, you haven't seen all the films yet. So we, you know, let's... well, I was going to say that too. And it's also like, <laughs> who should win in this production, right? Like I'm I'm like team Lily here, but you know, um, I was just gonna add something quickly here. I am getting inundated with for con your consideration emails too. <laughs> and the amount of money the machine is putting into this film is astounding. They have done like that line Hollywood articles, the rap, there's like YouTube videos of, you know, the design, the costume designer, the AI person, like there was so much money going into this campaign. So don't be surprised if it ends up on a ballot. Well, uh, and I uh, hope, oh, go, no, go ahead. Oh, Karen. oh I was just going to add to that. The, um, the photographs, those were incredible, like incredible. They look, they were just, they replicated them so amazingly that, I felt like, because I have some old, I, we all have old timey pictures of our relatives, right? So I have some from the 30s and whatever. Just, I've just, it made me think of my old family albums. Like, I just thought that that reproduction was incredible. Like, so I have to give them kudos for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so the cinematographer is, uh, again, also, uh, it's Rodrigo. Pito, I'm probably not saying that last name properly. Uh, he's a Mexican uh, cinematographer. He, it's funny though. He also worked on Barbie, so he, he was the cinematographer <laughs> on Barbie. Then he's the cinematographer on this, but he also had an Academy nod for Brokeback Mountain. He worked on The Irishman and uh, Silence and The Wolf of Wall Street. And I would say that Silence is the film 
that most resembles the aesthetic of this. And maybe it's because it's big sweeping uh, natural landscapes versus say like Goodfellas or Casino, which is like a you know contained urban jungle kind of thing. Um, just from a cinematic experience, like I said, the reason I watched it twice and I would, to any of the listeners, I would recommend if there's still an opportunity, watch this in a theater. And then for the second time, you can definitely watch it at home just to pick up some of the little nuances you might've missed. But like, this was a cinematic experience for me. I think that this is, I, I honestly think that this is one of Martin Scorsese's best films. I know we were kind of joking about this before we started recording about like, if none of us had watched this, what kind of random things could we say <laughs> about the film? Um, but I mean, I think if there's, if you were to separate Scorsese's career, I mean, you could really put it into three, three, like the, you know, Taxi Driver and stuff like that. Then like Goodfellas Casino, that kind of era. I think that like, this is up there with, I honestly think that like, I would put this up against like Casino. They're very different movies, but like, I mean, Scorsese firing on all cylinders with all the access to whatever he needs. I mean, Goodfellas is one of my favorite movies, obviously, because I'm a middle-aged white man. Um, but I think Casino has a lot of like glit and glam and, 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 and a lot of pomp and circumstance. And this is big and beautiful and cinematic. And I, I just think that like, you know, take all the po the political stuff aside, just as a as a film, as 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 a, a crafted piece of narrative work. I thought it was just so well done. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's also why I started with that comment, right? Because I I do still think of it as a film to to think about that a lot of people worked on, uh, were committed to make it a good film, right? And and I do want to give a shout out to the music by Robbie Robertson. Um, yeah, um, was I know he's worked with Scorsese before, but it, it kind of does go a long way in this film, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was one of the things I did notice as well as the scoring, the music, and oh, I love Robbie Robertson. It's you know very sad that he. When did he pass? I think it was two months. Yeah, just the summer, right? Oh, yeah, like yeah, yeah. I've always he's always been a favorite of mine, just in like the Canadian music industry and mm -hmm. knowing that he was um indigenous and that he's been so long standing in this industry um just like a fixture for me like I don't know I just it's yeah it was it, it that's what I think I liked is that the, the collaboration with all the indigenous um creators and and industry people you know so there there is that there is that to be said um, so it's like you were talking about how there's a big push for this. I mean, the the things that it's done so far that I think are important, you know, going getting ready for this uh, the Oscar season in the new year. So the New York Film Critics Circle, it won Best Film. Lily Gladstone wins Best, Best Actress. It is on the AFI's top film of the year, uh, their top 10. <laughs> and it premiered at Cannes, sorry, Cannes. Um, my quote, though, is about Lily specifically, because I'll, I'll be honest, Amongst these like two really powerhouse actors, like yes, we've got Jesse Plemons and we've got um, what's his name there from the whale? Uh, oh, Brandon Brandon Frazier. Frazier and John Frazier. But like her, her performance in this is so both stoic and warm and controlled. Like she, and and again, she's between Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro, and she is. I would say she's not only just holding her own; she is the best performance in this film and so i've got a quote from jocelyn novak from the associated press uh leonardo dicaprio and robert de niro both turn in superb work but gladstone 
In the rare Scorsese film that gives center stage to a female character is the emotional core here. And it's her face that straight stays etched in our memory. hundred percent. Like I'm, I will be very disappointed if she does not win. And again, I haven't seen Maestro. I, I know that there's some other female uh, leads that I, I haven't, I cannot compare this to, but just having seen her acting performance, I, I like I don't know how you're gonna be able to top this. Like she transcends into this person from like a hundred and some odd years ago. She really does. And like I just just I just love there are like a, a few actors that um I just will watch just because of their faces. Um there's a young black actor, he was in a film called um Black Box and he starred in Archive 81 and just his face his eyes everything about his face he doesn't even have to say a word he just transmits the emotion from his face and I felt the same with Lily Gladstone like her eyes had the spark of energy every scene she was in you could see the energy in her eyes and she really conveyed the emotions that that were happening in each scene whereas she was like dying you could see her eyes the light was just kind of dimmer um, when she was flirting with um, Ernest, you could see that spark. Like she's just brilliant, and I, I really do want to see them. Uh, what film was she? Was it called a Creative Woman? Was Certain Women. Certain yeah. Women. Yeah, I want to see that because I, I, I've not really seen her in much. So I really do want to add to my Lily Gladstone catalog because she's she's a real, I, she's a real gem. Yeah. Yeah, so films that, uh, so Certain Women is probably one you're going to want to see and The Unknown Country. Uh, and then she has a minor role in First Cow. Okay. Oh, right. I forgot about that. She kind of reminds me of, and, and Scott and I have talked about this on the show before. So Benicio Del Toro is actually almost notorious for asking for less lines, like going into scripts and being like, oh, I can right. do that with my face and stuff. And that's what I feel from, I, I mean, she's got a much softer aesthetic than Del Toro. <laughs> but that presence like just that there's a, there's a gravitas to her just being in the frame mm-hmm. whether even even when she was like with her sisters and there's the three of them she's just there's this power and uh, man, i'm so excited to see where her career goes now because again to to be in a film with all the all these you know possibilities and be the big shining star between like again between uh, you know outshining de niro uh DiCaprio and Scorsese himself, you know, as the filmmaker, like she really does come alive in this film. And she makes this film have a, I don't know if warmth, a life, like you care, you, you know, past just the dialogue because you care about her, it invokes the emotions that you want because you are angry of what is happening to her and her family. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it also, it's not just what, you know DiCaprio and De Niro's doing to her like think of the the scene she had with her mom before the mom dies and sees the owl right like what does she say to her like she doesn't even want her there she wants the other sister right she was like you know she she her mom pretty much is telling her she's a disappointment for getting with Ernest um and you know she really just loves the the is Anna the older or younger 
yeah so it's it's anna that you know the wild child mm -hmm. she's the one that she wants and then you know just to see how lily performed that where she's just literally devastated and being like i'm here and then she's like yeah no right and then it's they go get anna who's like drunk and you know sobers up with her mom but they still have that moment where it's like just before mm -hmm. and i think the way they they depict it like she she's kind of like the tragic character to begin with right she's like the sought after she's what 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 should i call it she's the uh the MacGuffin technically for like Ernest and De Niro right like they have to get hers to get the head rights and then right. it's just this whole little thing where you know to quote to quote Patrick Swayze man they put her in the corner for most of this movie because you don't really see her anymore mm -hmm. but she fights to be seen though right right, right. and that's <laughs> No, I, I, sorry, I, I apologize for interrupting. I don't know. Through the whole film, she's fighting to be seen and for her family to be seen and for everybody in the, everybody who's died, right? So I think it's like a heavy role and like a very heavy burden, I guess, for lack mm -hmm. of a better word. But, you know, she's, she continues to push through even towards death, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I would have sorry sorry oh no go <laughs> uh, ahead no <laughs> yeah like for me I would have loved to seen like the stuff you hear between DiCaprio and De Niro right where it's like you know she's stubborn she's headstrong she's the one that's getting the private investigators because she's like fuck it the police ain't doing shit right she's the one that's going to the council and be like we need to go to Washington because we need this shit right but you don't see like you, you never get to see or actually perform that stuff. It's always the third party. And that's why they have to like, you know, we got to like quiet her up a little bit and do that, do what they did. Mm -hmm. um, but I would have loved to see that where, you know, she's like standing there, like fucking just taking control of everything. Like this is what needs to be done. Right. And to see why De Niro is so scared of her. Mm -hmm. well you you mentioned the council that speech i was like yes <laughs> yes and i was i was wondering i'm like okay i my hope and my dream was is that they they said to the actors okay what do you think the council said they would like, say, right <laughs> yeah I, I i would hope that they said to the actors okay you all sit and talk and and kind of come up with what the council said because I was just like I was sitting here in my you know room going yes because <laughs> I just thought that was so brilliant and just like you could tell like those actors were feeling those words they were feeling it you know mm -hmm. um, yeah, I agree with that. um a second scene that I want to mention that I really loved you already mentioned it was when she's sitting um Molly sitting with her sisters yeah. uh, before she formalizes her relationship with um Ernest and they're sort of speaking in their language uh, and and they're actually describing you know like she knows very well what she's getting in Ernest right like yeah he wants money but not a lot like there's a lot happening in there and you see Molly in a different light she's not being stoic or super strong she's being herself in that element of being with her sisters um that is a scene that I think will resonate with mm -hmm. a lot of people well, and the topic of like the actors all being kind of like in the groove with each other, that famous scene of, you know, I don't know what you just said, but it must be handsome, you know, Indian, yes. Indian for handsome devil or whatever. And she laughs 
was improv, right? Like that was just yeah. improv, but they are so in sync. Those they are those characters. Those characters are living and breathing and interacting with each other as real people at that time. And that scene is, oh, that's so perfect. I just, I, I love, <laughs> excuse me. I love Lily Gladstone's just mannerisms. Like just these subtle, these subtle little acting things, her little chuckle. Uh, it's yeah, she's fantastic. And just to Scott, uh, so the mother is played by Tan uh, Tantu Cardinal. Uh, yes. She's a pre Métis woman from Alberta. So I love her. Um, there's a film. Uh, it falls around her. Right? Is that right, yes. Heidi? Yes. Oh. yes, I love it. That movie is so good. If you can check it out, I think it might be on CBC Gem or. <laughs> canopy it's a lot a lot of free streamers so if you can check that yeah. out she is incredible in that film yeah, yeah. filmmakers darlene Aponce, whom I love as well. yes i love darlene stuff yeah mm -hmm. so it's got a 93 from the critics on rotten tomatoes and an 84 i'm actually surprised that it's not higher with an audience so i don't know because i mean i don't know what you would be going into this film thinking you're about to watch you know what i mean like sometimes you like you get low audience scores because they thought the movie was going to be one thing and it was something else. Like this film definitely, it was the best version of what I thought I was going to see, but I had no misconceptions of like what, like I didn't think I was going to go in and watch Tommy guns and gangsters or whatever. Like, I don't know what people thought to, uh, so I don't know what do you guys think would bring down this audience score. I think it depends where the audience is coming from. Right. Because I think, now that it's probably available more widely outside of the US and like, well, generally North America and Europe, um, people may not have known the story. People may not like the length, right? Like, I mean, I still kind of get a little uncomfortable when I read, oh, two hours and 14 minutes, right? And I'm like, oh gosh, right? So sometimes even just reading that the film is long, people get turned off by that. Um, I don't know. I'd be curious to see if we, if there was ever sort of like a mini research on, on how audiences kind of fall in, in some of these films. I, I agree with you, Heidi. I think it's primarily the length because I think over the last three years, people, people's attention spans have like reduced. <laughs> and especially if it was, it had, it's, you know, in the theaters. Um, so if you're going to go to the theater, you have to like, carve out a chunk of time to sit there and watch that movie and there's there's no intermission so mm -hmm. you know i think that would turn people off the the length of the film i actually thought that the time flew by myself like i am I, you know from a programmer stance i'm like are you kidding me three hours <laughs> you know this, the programmer in my mind is like no one's gonna program that but you I mean, well, it doesn't not... need to be programmed. It's a Scorsese film. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> that's what I was going to say. I'm like, nobody, who cares? It's Scorsese. He can do whatever the hell he wants, right? But that's <laughs> um, automatically, I'm like, three hours. Or like, even from a critic, critic's standpoint, I'm like, three hours? Come on. But the, it flew by. So you, I do agree that you don't be put off by the length. Like, if you're going to see it, just just watch it. Like, you know, and especially, I mean, watch it off of Apple. If you if you're worried about that, you can pause it. It's a pause button. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I think that the length is putting people off as well. And I wonder if basically they're they're kind of apprehensive because of what we've been dis discussing. Like, who is telling the story? You know, it, maybe they're kind of apprehensive about that and supporting a film that is actually mm -hmm. done by 
you know, an Italian-American, uh, like, white director and written by two white men, right? So, hmm. possibly, yeah. Scott, what do you think? No, I was going to say, I, I would agree. I, I think in terms of the negativity, I think, like, with, um, you know, like we were saying before, like, with Devry Jacobs and all, everything like that, her putting out her her thoughts on it a lot of people jump on that as well right and and some people could not have even watched the movie and they're just jumping on and what she's saying and you know bringing down the scores right and who knows maybe it's just an influx of people who like marvel movie and and they're like fuck scorsese right like he keeps on talking bad about okay. superhero movies <laughs> right? well audiences keep uh, not showing up for those same superhero movies so no but oh what i'm saying is like you know like he he bashed them for so long like you know people there people are are <laughs> you know and the whole budget yeah exactly right like who knows and, and in context Scorsese's best movie was Cape Fair, but I'll, I'll stand uh, on that. I'll agreed. stand on that one. Yeah, agreed. Good. Agreed. De Niro's wild in that film too. Actually, so De Niro's wild, but uh, uh, what's her name? Um, the, Jennifer. Or it's not, not Jennifer. It's not Julia, Jennifer. Julia, Julia, Julia Lewis. Lewis. Oh. Those yeah. like the interactions between like that classic scene where like doesn't he stick his fingers in her mouth or something like that? Like yeah. <laughs> it's intense oh, man creepy. it's so intense uh one of the things i want to bring up about delvery jacobs before we start to wind down here is i think it's interesting that she is making these comments so uh she was in a film by the late great jeff barnaby called rhymes with young pools she was mm -hmm. the lead performer uh the character's name was Elea, and there was actually a test similar to the bechtel test about indigenous representation modeled after her where a character can't be can't fall in love with a white man can't be like brutalized or raped or any of these types of things so i just thought it's just an interesting coincidence that the actor that played this role that is now used as a litmus test for like strong female indigenous characters on screen uh is the uh, is the making these comments about this scorsese film yeah it's yeah it's pretty i mean i can think of one character i'm hoping i'm um getting this right um in night raiders yes i think oh, yeah. she would she would pass that test um, absolutely yeah 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 oh yeah. well, look that's that's uh what's her name denny dennis uh, uh, dennis uh who's the director the female she's she also oh, worked yes. on uh, reservation um, dogs oh yes is it denny goulet or goulette oh, i'm so oh, bad with names right yeah goulet that's yeah. right let me look it up um, <laughs> yeah i think it is oh my god denny goulet yeah, I think so. Yes. So that would, because I mean that, so if you, so, so you have an indigenous female behind the, I think she's the like one of the writers as well. So mm -hmm. she's not going to go and write a character that is brutalized, right? <laughs> like right. she's going to want a strong matriarchal protagonist. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Sorry, my sound going weird. <laughs> no, you're good. Okay. Uh, for me, it's okay. My mic keeps going weird. Anyway. um, Yeah, because I feel like, I think that films coming out now will probably pass that test, but I think that's a really great thing to do because, and I think, you know, I think it should be done for all like women of color characters. <laughs> you know, we all see a lot of them falling victim to, you know, stereotypes 
and and victimization. So yeah, I think that's a great thing. And which I guess you would agree that the advantage, this is why it's important to have people telling their own stories, mm-hmm. both Absolutely. as the writer and as the you know person directing the camera itself, right? Because mm-hmm. only you know what, like only like you know more about being a, a black woman than I know about being a black, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. No, and it's I don't know. I think it's really interesting, and I also wanted like just to jump off of this. I don't know. I don't think there's really any segue, but you know, going back to the film mentioning Tulsa and like the first murder of um, an Osage person within this context of the film happened like a few days before the Tulsa massacre. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really, really interesting. I can give you um, a link to a couple of articles, Chris, Chris and Scott, but I think it's really interesting like that there, I would love to see more of a tie in. And if there were, you know, any people kind of intersecting with that whole you know like maybe they knew someone in Tulsa or someone from Tulsa was in the Osage County or I just really I think that whole thing is really intriguing to me um and also I would say like the Osage um murders that's basically domestic terrorism to me Mm -hmm. um like Tulsa like um there's also a Philadelphia bombing, uh, the Move Group. Um, I think that was in the 80s. I'm not sure about the 80s. Um, but there's like a bunch of, oh, like even in, in Canada, like the Oka um, right. standoff, Standing Rock. Uh, everyone should watch Beans, you know? Yeah, we, that, we yeah, love that film. We, that's we... so incredible. Like just these things that, that kind of showcase domestic terrorism against people of color. And that doesn't really get showcased. So I think that's a really important point that um, uh, killer killing killings of the flower moon is is showcasing. You know, um, yeah. I just just to put that out there uh, because I don't think it gets showcased enough or talked about enough. I would agree. There was a scene in the film that is just returning to me where there was a bit of a parade. I don't know if you remember. Yes, and yeah. the plan is there. Event. The vets are coming. It's like the first few. So there's like an indigenous kind of float in the very beginning, I think. And then you see, I think the clan is after them. Mm-hmm. And there's like local people who you've seen characters in the film being part of that, um, of the clan. So I'm sure there's other ways that you can find historical information to tie in, you know, who knew who, who was part of which group, um, aside from obviously the obvious villain here being... Um, uncle bill right Mm -hmm. so the historical side of things would make another rich film or topic to discuss and i hope that um my wish another wish (laughs) carolyn's wish list (laughs) my hope is yeah (laughs) is that when lily wins her oscar because i'm just putting it out there when she wins it when she wins you know all the rest of the awards um, my hope is, and I feel like she's going to do this, is that she's going to take that momentum and she's going to lift up other Indigenous filmmakers and do her own projects. And I can't wait to see that. That's I'm putting that out there. I can't wait to see that. Scott? I thought that was a good place to end it, to be honest. <laughs> Sounds good, yeah. <laughs> uh, unless you guys say, yeah, I, I agree. I think that's a great, you know, we we I think we all want that for her and for uh, her you know again um, underrepresented filmmakers 
as well. Uh, if there's anything, unless there's anything else, we will thank you again for coming on the show and we look forward to having you guys on again. We like, like we love having you guys here. So. That's fun. Thank you. Thanks for asking us back. Um, yeah. It's great chatting with you both. Yeah. All right. Well, enjoy the rest of your day and uh, yeah, send me whatever links you want and uh, we'll okay. make sure they're in the show notes. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Bye guys. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> And that is our wrap for the day. Please like and subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends. If you want to get a hold of us, reach us at the www.howdyoulikethatmovie.com. You got anything else before I let you go? No, I think I think that was good. It was a good episode. And yeah, uh, the only thing I was like, I didn't want to like on your time because it says scheduled meeting time is over. That's because we ran. I only had it set for an hour, right? Oh, okay. but we ran I'm over like, an hour, so. I was like, did this thing like stop recording? We didn't. Re- we're not even recording. I go, oh shit, we forgot to record. We just like pop on and do like thirty seconds of like Killers of the Flower Moon, and then we're like, yeah. we're good. Uh, I actually might. I might actually go see if it's still playing in the theater and go watch it again. <laughs> it's at the Princess. That's the only one I know. Production by Rod Shaver, Vader Monkey Productions.